I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. As my listeners by now know, we are dedicating episodes this year to the theme Together. Especially this fall, I am exploring not only the elements that bring a group together, but what characteristics that group needs to stay together. In this time of the pandemic and social unrest, we see the divisiveness and polarization before us on the news or social media every day. As a school leader, I sense it in my own community as we implement diversity and inclusion programming and work with our young people. Unease, distrust, and emotion-laden discourse seem to permeate every facet of our present culture. In our last episode, Dame Evelyn Glennie started us thinking about the importance of listening listening as an active choice we make when we're with others. I wanted to extend that conversation in this episode and bring it back to the schoolhouse, so I am pleased to have two fellow educators who have built an impressive program at their school called Courageous Conversations, designed to equip their students with the skills to listen to learn and discuss complex issues in a civil way. Carrie Schuster and Kelly Weber are teachers at Sacred Heart Academy Bryn Mawr in Pennsylvania on the main line, just outside of Philadelphia. SHA Bryn Mawr is an all-girls pre-K-12 through school of several hundred students and part of the well-established and well-regarded Sacred Heart Network of Catholic schools. Carrie is in her 21st year there and teaches English in the upper school. Kelly teaches history and social justice in the high school and oversees service learning. In 2017, the girls these talented educators teach came to them independently with an interest in discussing contemporary topics. Leveraging some training Kelly had received in facilitating dialogue from an organization called Generation Global, Kelly and Carrie teamed up with their students to start Courageous Conversations. Courageous Conversations affords the young women of SHA the opportunity to come together for structured, safe conversations around identity and issues of contemporary interest, such as gun control, gender, and American identity. I know you will enjoy hearing about the origins of this novel program at SHA Bryn Mawr and appreciate the aims to which it aspires. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast, and I am so thrilled to have Carrie Schuster and Kelly Weber here with me today, joining me from Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, on the eve of welcoming the young women at Sacred Heart Academy Bryn Mawr back to their campus tomorrow. This is, uh, this is September 16th, and so their young women are coming off remote tomorrow in the high school to, walk, to come back. So Thank you all for doing this. How gracious uh, it, with all you have uh, ahead of you. So um, thank you all for doing this. Uh, glad to have you. So uh, I've told you, ladies, and I know my listeners know that I'm committing my podcast and writing to this theme of together, and especially this fall, not just the elements of like what brings us together as a group, but you know how do groups actually stay together, especially as we've seen uh, in our country, uh, the pandemic tear us um, uh, apart from one another, and these issues of social unrest uh, shoot some fissures across elements of the community. I've seen it on my campus and in my community here at Parish uh, around uh, the diversity inclusion programming we've been doing, just unease and distrust and a lot of emotion-laden discourse uh, amidst our, our cultures. And so I had um, a non-educator on last episode, Dame Evelyn Glennie, a musician, a percussionist who's profoundly deaf, 
who talked to me and to us about full body listening, you know, this notion that as a performer, she just digs so deeply into the act of listening, which she called the choice of listening. And so today I'm really excited to kind of come back into my wheelhouse and to be with school folks and talk about this program called Courageous Conversations that you all run um, out at Sacred Heart and, uh, and how you've gotten the young women that you work with to um, think and listen and discuss in civil ways. So you guys welcome for being here. So let's talk, uh, before we get into a little bit more about Sacred Heart Academy, let's just find out who you guys are. So Carrie, tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about what you teach and how you got started uh, in and maybe the education field. And uh, just tell us what you're doing there at Sacred Heart Academy. Sure. I have been at Sacred Heart for 21 years, which every time I say that out loud, I can't believe it. <laughs> and I teach high school English, 11th and 12th grade. And what brought me to education, I always thought I wanted to be a writer. And then I had some amazing English teachers and I realized mm. I could teach and be a writer at the same time. So I've been doing that ever since. And not an easy thing to be doing virtually as you work to uh, build the writing skills of your young women. I know that's probably been a challenge. Yes, yes. We're making it work. Thank goodness for Google Docs. Google Docs, yeah. <laughs> shared editing, shared editing capacity is, uh, is, 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 so, is so true. And Kelly, how about you? How long have you been at, at Sacred Heart Vermont? Tell our friends uh, about your very busy um, set of responsibilities there. Yeah, I've been at Sacred Heart for, this will be my 14th year there, and I also teach in the high school. I teach ninth grade world history and a 12th grade Catholic social justice course, and I run our community service program for grades 9 through 12 as well. Um, and what brought me to teaching was I think I was always that kid who thought they wanted to be a teacher, so I don't really have a moment where I thought that's what I wanted to do. It was just very natural for me, and I, I started right after college and um, have been teaching since. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, nice long tenures there um, at a school, really on the main line, just outside Philadelphia, Bryn Mawr, so it's, for those that are not familiar with it, who may be more native Texans and not uh, a Yankee by birth, as am I, uh, so if, if you're unfamiliar. But Sacred Heart Schools, uh, though we don't have one here in Dallas, are a well-known and highly regarded network of Catholic um, schools across uh, the country. So Kelly, tell us a little bit about like what are some of the fundamentals that characterize a Sacred Heart School? And then we'll get it, maybe Carrie can give us a little bit more of a background of, um, of Sacred Heart Academy, Bryn Mawr specifically. Sure. So um, Sacred Heart schools in the United States and Canada are linked by a common heritage from the Society of the Sacred Heart, which actually began in France. Um, but the ones in the United States, we, are, we call ourselves the Network of Sacred Heart Schools. And there are five goals that all of the schools agree to and unify around. And then within each of the five goals, there are, are specified criteria that we work to meet within those goals. And those goals and criteria are updated every 15 years by revision process involving everyone in the school system. And we are due for new ones this year. So the process got delayed a little bit because of COVID, but they will be coming out. Um, and the goals have long like wording behind them, but it's simply it, it, their prayer um, into, or faith, prayer and faith, intellect, social awareness, building community, and um, personal growth and freedom. And so those are the five goals that each school interprets as they see fit in their community, but that they anchor us to each other. And if you have the opportunity to visit another Sacred Heart school, 
um, it's great because you can walk in and you see a, a somewhat different culture or you might see different grades. Some are co-ed, uh, ours is one, a single sex, but you know, you kind of know what they're doing because you see the goal language throughout the school everywhere. Yeah, so we have an Ursuline Academy here in Dallas, highly regarded uh, all women's uh, high school, again, part of a network. And so it's very enriching to be connected to peers in similar schools who you say share share mission and commonality and even some accrediting aspects mm -hmm. that align uh, the purpose of your, uh, of your, of your school um, with others. And as an Episcopal school, we can recognize some of the language uh, that you talk about, for example, around social justice or prayer. We're a daily chapel. I don't know how often, how often do your, how often do your young ladies go to chapel um, at Sacred Heart? Um, well, we have community mass usually monthly or Once with month. Holy Days or special events, yeah. but then each division also would run different types of chapel or prayer services based on what fits their needs for yeah. um, lower, middle, and upper. So again, some similarities for folks in our audience across the, 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 two, the two platform. So Carrie, tell us a little bit about um, Sacred Heart Academy in general, how many young women are there in the pre-K through 12 um, scope, but and maybe a word, you know, and it probably um, jumped out a little bit in what Kelly was describing about the Sacred Heart Network, but I like to um, have folks that are um, come in to, we talk to who come from other school communities, just give a word that helps our community ground themselves, maybe in a visual of what it feels like uh, in your culture. So tell us a little bit more specifically about um, SHA Bryn Mawr. Sure. So Kelly might have to help me out with the numbers. Do you know the K through 12? I mean, we are very much on the small side. Yeah. Um, I would say that the high school probably has about um, one, 120, 130, Kelly, does that sound about right? Yeah. I think that sounds um, right. So, you know, I, I love the small size. Mm -hmm. I think it benefits the students. Even before I started teaching the juniors this year, I pretty much knew all of them, even though yeah. they've never been in my class before, which I'm not sure most teachers could say that. So I guess when I, when I think this becomes a cliche at Sacred Heart, but I think it's for a reason that our community is really strong. And I think we've seen that, especially over the last few months. In terms of the students, I have a great example. This just happened. I had a student last year in my advisory who was struggling. So I asked another student in the advisory to be her tutor. And once I, I set them up, they, they worked. I didn't have to worry about them. They checked in with each other. And I thought at the beginning of this year, oh, I should ask the tutor to check in with the student again. So I emailed her and she said, oh, I already did that. I already checked in with her. And I thought that's, that's the kind of student that, that we have here. They're, they're so good with each other. I'm mm. always amazed. And then beyond the students, I think our faculty, I, I I haven't worked anywhere else, but I can't imagine that um, teachers are collaborative in the way that we are here anywhere mm -hmm. else. Um, the fact that Kelly and I could start our program, and I'll probably tell you later a little bit more about how we started, but that we come from two different departments um, and just had this idea and made it work. I mean, often during lunch, I might say to somebody in the science department, wouldn't it be great if we could do a lesson on this? Oh, you talk to them about that? I, that's funny because that actually connects to what I'm doing in my class. So um, we are not the kind of school where departments are competing against each other. They're mm -hmm. always working together. It's very supportive. So um, I think that happens for the students and the teachers as well. Yeah, it sounds like y'all really leverage your size beautifully because you're in a market of 
you know, Episcopal Academy and, and other mainline um, independent schools that are that are bigger, bigger, bigger institutions. And so it sounds like it's a potentially real competitive advantage for you all too to offer a differentiator, not just on the Sacred Heart platform, but uh, on the intimacy that it sounds like really binds um, your employees and, and your students together. So that's that's fantastic. So I came across Courageous Conversations, the program that we're going to talk about today um, in a recent industry publication called Net Assets, a bit of an unusual place to find it since that's a magazine that's really tilted and oriented toward business officers and, and the financials of our world. But uh, there it was. Um, Kelly, uh, give us a kind of concise um, newcomers um, introduction to Courageous Conversations. How would you describe it? Sure, so Courageous Conversations is a student-led exploration of dialogue um, and personal identity. And so it is an opportunity, the way we currently have it formed, though it's very flexible, it allows students to explore their own social identifiers and their own um, ideas of privilege and power and review what it's like to be in dialogue and the power of dialogue skills. And then the, the event ends with dialogues on contemporary social topics that the students design and choose themselves. And it is not product driven, um, it's process driven. We don't need to end with a certain result. In fact, there is no result, um, but it is the idea that we're just practicing engaging with each other through, through dialogue skills. And you, and you define dialogue as a discussion where participants feel safe enough to ask difficult questions, discover more about the lives of others, share difficult experiences, and engage in critical thinking and reflection. Did you all come up with that definition of dialogue, or did you, uh, you know, essentially uh, amalgamate it from uh, a series of other sources? Um, so a lot of our framework comes from the essentials of dialogue, which is written and published by the Tony Blair Institute um, for Global Change, and mm. specifically their program targeted at schools called Generation Global. Um, so that's where a lot of the training that I've had and that Carrie has had have come from. But as we have lived and worked with this over a number of years, we have added more um, scholarship and activities and theories into it, but our framework does lie in that Essentials of Dialogue program. Interesting. So, Carrie, that may take us to the origin story, or perhaps it, it, it doesn't. At least it gives us a sense of, of uh, you know, where it emerged philosophically or programmatically. But how did how did you two, as you referenced earlier, kind of come up with this idea and bring it to your colleagues and get support of your administration? Tell us where uh, this started. How long have y'all been doing Courageous Conversations at Sacred Heart Academy, Bryn Mawr? Yes, I actually love telling the story because I think it says a lot about how things work at Sacred Heart. So it was the fall of I believe 2017, when Kelly and I were scheduled for lunch duty together, one of those things that, you know, <laughs> you just have to do. And we were talking and I said, you know, I have a few students who have come to me, they really want to talk about contemporary issues, gun control, gender, sexuality. Um, and Kelly said, that's really strange. I have students coming to me and these students were all independent of each other. And so we realized there was this need for students to have this kind of space. And we started talking and Kelly had done some of the training at Tony Blair. So mm. we thought, well, let's see if we can make this happen. So we took a very vague idea to the head of school, kind of a germ of an idea. And she was very supportive and said, go for it, come up with something, come back to me. And so that's how Kelly and I really built it from the ground up 
there was nothing like this in place. We had no budget. We didn't, we didn't have anything. So, um, you know, we relied very heavily on the resources that Kelly described earlier, came up with the program, pulled the students. This was very interesting. Asked the students what they wanted in terms of a time to meet. Overwhelmingly, they said Friday night. <laughs> I couldn't even believe that when I saw um, your meeting on Friday nights. I'm like, these are some serious, uh, serious students, these young ladies. Yes. And we've had every time we've had it, I would say we've had at least a quarter of the student body show up between a quarter so and a third of the student. So body you're talking body. 30 to 40 young yes. women are coming to these. Um, how, how many Friday nights a month are you doing this? We initially did it one time at the end of that school year, once we got it up and running. And then the next year we did it twice. And last year we were only able to do it once because mm. we were no longer in school. We did have something scheduled for the second half of last year, but it didn't happen. So it really is twice a year. They want more. They always ask for more, but um, in terms of manpower, that was all we had, we, we could do. And we had considered expanding the program. Um, we're still working on some ideas for that, we're, you know, next steps. So this is um, right, you know, in this uh, first phase of cataclysmic time socially, you know, we had the same experience with a lot of heavy work done in diversity and inclusion 2014, 2015, you know, and then you go Kaylee, you know, you, know, you go, um, uh, um, Bruce Jenner and his transition. You go the Ferguson riots at Michael Brown, 2014, 2015. You move into the 2016 uh, election. You know, you move into 2017 with the Charlottesville riots. Like you can begin to track these events that really um, br brought to the forefront the again the fissures and the and the divisions in our community. And this is when we started to experience it internally too. This uh, unrest even among some of our kids on. Um, either what some perceived as virtue signaling and on the other side, can culture canceling and, you know, kids uh, really having a difficult time figuring out how to move off of social media and into an environment where you have, as you all obviously have done, a, a, st a structure and a philosophy for um, productive, healthy conversation. So it's interesting to hear your timestamp on when the girls became to, began to come to you based on what we all know is happening in the broader community at that time. So Kelly, Courageous Conversations is, is, is I think really unique as Carrie was describing, there's not many templates like this, which is why I reached out to you all. Um, the Friday evening, really interesting, right? You, you, when you think about the, the social rhythms of a lot of young people and the uh, fatigue level of folks like you who've gone through a, a busy week. But it does, as you referenced off the, off the top, Kelly, really empower the students um, to get involved in crafting this. So you know, take us through one of these two sessions a year and tell us how the ideas and the structure of this, of that meeting get germinated and articulated and agended, and then how it actually feels when you arrive and uh, just take us, take us through it. Sure. So we do work with a student leadership team that is open to anyone who has completed one. And we meet with them regularly before the event and have different subcommittees that we each take with. So um, though the event might only be once a semester, those who have vested interest are engaged in this work, you know, throughout the semester. Um, so the groups meet ahead of time and we generally start to, in order to pick topics, we generally start with what's going, like a news dump, what's going on, what's, what are you guys hearing about, what are the themes that are showing up on whatever it is, however you get your news. And so we'll talk about those and then we sort of see how they group 
and like where there is themes emerging and then where there's just general conversation amongst the student population. And then we just work on sort of formulating the, the themes that become dialogue. So we've had things like um, gun control and gun violence. We've had climate change. We've had um, First Amendment rights, gender and sexism, um, racism. Um, Consumerism. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Consumerism, all sorts, and they, they go, some are consistent and some vary from semester to semester. And so then we do a sign up for anyone who wants to come and it's open to previous participants and new participants. And then when we get there, the, you know, the night of, which we're already there, but when we get there, you know, and move to the rooms where we're having all of this, um, we begin with a dialogue walk, which is a kind of a step forward if, step back if, and um, it's a done in a circle. So it's not about moving forward, but just sort of some getting the idea of what people's identities are and what they're bringing. We move through looking at social identities and the idea of, of privilege and power. We move through discussing listening skills and the difference between a dialogue, a debate, a discussion, um, setting ground um, rule, norms that we all agree to. Um, and then we move after dinner into having the actual dialogues, which are anywhere from a half hour to 45 minutes to almost an hour. Sometimes if you add, they all end with reflection. And so if you add the reflection time and they can be on the longer side, and then we wrap up with a big group discussion of a reflection and um, then it's nighttime very much so and they go home. Unbelievable. So how much of that pre-dinner tr training is adult-led versus that student leadership group you talked about, or is it essentially a shared effort? Um, it's a shared effort. And every time we do it, it's more and more student-led um, mm -hmm. because more and more students have background and training in it. So one of the committees that we work with with students is on activities and, and programming. And so if students are comfortable and would like to lead some of it, we allow them to do it with us. If nobody's comfortable right then, or they would like an assist, we can get up there and do it with them. One of our favorite stories is from one of the first, one of the first or second times we did it, we did this identity wheel and it was great and it was pre-formed. Pre so we just borrowed it. And it was like, you know, students would investigate and write like a, it's like a trivial pursuit pie kind of. And what is their, you know, race? What is their ethnicity? What is their social? class and it had all these social identifiers but it left off gender and we didn't pick it up beforehand and then after the first or second event this student leader said could I like redesign this because it doesn't have gender on there and that's like really important to me especially given that we're a single sex school and we all have really strong feelings about this and Carrie and I were like of course and we were delighted that like the student then really took ownership of that activity and reformulated it in a way that now is this the same intent but it's so different and flexible now so um it's a great example too of student leadership but how the program has grown since its first or, or second run yeah so carrie after dinner you take let's say it's 40 girls do they what is the size of the breakout groups and then are all the groups talking about for example on that evening gun control or is it multiple issues being spoken about across the groups so once we have decided what the topics will be, we do multiple topics for each session. And that's, that, those topics really come from the students and where their interests are. Um, we find out who's, who's interested in coming and they fill out a survey that says, 
what dialogue groups they're interested in being in and where their comfort level is. You might know a lot about this topic, a little about this topic, or very little about this topic, because we want the groups to be balanced. If we have a lot of students who don't know too much about the topic, then the conversation is going to be different than if you have a balance of people with different levels of experience. Um, so we break them into groups in that way. And sometimes we might have two groups talking about a particular topic if that's really popular for some reason, maybe it's been in the news recently. And the groups usually range from, I would say eight to 10. Does that sound about right, Kelly? About eight to 10 students per mm -hmm. group. The small size of the groups, that definitely helps the facilitator feel more comfortable running the dialogue, I think. And that facilitator is a student or a trained adult? A student. We have, at the evening events, we have always had student leaders. And Kelly and I, the students will sometimes say that they would like more faculty presence. They would even like faculty members in the group. And Kelly and I have actually resisted that a little bit because we feel it would change the dynamic of the group, even to have a teacher as a member of the group um, would change things. So we really leave it in the students' hands and we do train the student facilitators ahead of time so that they feel comfortable. They have a card. If something happens that they're not comfortable with, they hold the card up and we have to come over. And honestly, in all the times we've done that, it's almost never happened. We, we had one, one time that we had to go and kind of intervene and so, um, after they've had that training, they, they feel fairly comfortable being able to run. And those small groups are all following the same protocol, dialogue protocol that you've established really down to the timing even. So they're going to wrap up and conclude yes. at a fairly similar time, even if their conversations digress and become a little bit more unique in terms of the way they go. Yes, I think we hope that these are the beginnings of conversations and that you know, they'll take these skills and maybe even the conversations beyond the Friday night. It, they usually have about 20 to 30 minutes for dialogue, which isn't long. They always want more. Every single time we've asked for feedback, <laughs> that's the number one thing that they say is they want more time for dialogue. Yeah, this has been, um, listening to you, like this resonates very much because where we've had challenges is the, the one speaker who comes in to talk to 440 members of our upper school community, right? And so the, the one speaker who may come in and talk on a topic like leveraging your platform to have your voice come forward, essentially take your privilege and put it to good purpose. When they say a word like privilege, you know, because in that audience of 440, you have people along that readiness spectrum that you just described, Carrie, right? Who are like, whoa, that makes me really uncomfortable. I don't know what you mean. What are you saying? What are you saying about me? Right. Or yes, let, I need more of this. I, I believe in this. Like, so you get this whole range. And so we've really come to understand that um, small groups, well facilitated, that create this safe environment that is in your description of of the context or precursor for a dialogue um, is something we have to do more of and to do better if we really want to get through the noise to the point where our kids are really just listening first and then bringing forward their thoughtful response second you know when we actually kind of teach these skills that's really interesting to hear you to hear you talk about that so it sounds like Kelly you had had some training in the from the, the Blair uh, Institute and so I'm interested like 
how much of that still remains fundamental to the program and whether you've sent either um, other adults, it sounds like not so much adults or sent kids out to programming for that or brought people in to train them, or if you're just handling all the facilitator training yourself, talk to us a little bit about training sure. of the adults and the students alike uh, in this practice. So I would say that a sizable 75% or so of the program still remains rooted in the Generation Global curriculum. Um, we worked with them in the 2019-2020 school year to actually help us facilitate training for all of our adult community as well. So in the last school year, 2019-2020, we began the school year with a full day of professional development. Carrie and I led it with um, a trainer from Generation Global um, for our whole faculty and staff. Everybody was there. And so we did that because we needed we wanted all of the adults to be growing in the skills the same way as the students were. And so then we followed up with multiple um, future professional development days with smaller sessions, but we still followed up with that and leveled it between lower and middle and upper. And we are still working. Carrie mentioned a little bit earlier, we are in the process of revisioning our next steps. We had some plans, but with the pandemic, they, they did get changed and, and what we really want to do just isn't possible at this moment. So it's, it's on hold, but it will happen. It just is a matter of, of when. And so we have worked with Generation Global, um, but we also have resources in our Sacred Heart Network for dialogue. That has been a really great resource that um, I have been able to reach out with. And all of it's a, it is a priority of the Sacred Heart schools. So schools are interpreting it in ways that make sense to them. Some it's co-curricular, some it is curricular, some it is like week-long immersion programming. And so working with our colleagues across Sacred Heart Schools has also added in another layer of um, framework. Yeah, Carrie, it sounds really so powerful to do it with your colleagues because, you know, whether it's a contemporary social issue or a discussion on uh, a literary text in, in an English class like you would use, like the fact that they are skilled now in facilitating this type of discussion and thoughtful exchange and dialogue would seem to me to have cross application outside the type of program that you run with courageous conversations and right into the teaching of a, of a class, no? Yeah, we, um, when we decided to, well, first, first thing that happened is that we had a number of students who said it was actually difficult to be in a classroom with students who had been trained and students who had not been trained. And so we wanted to try to expand the program to as many students as possible. And then we knew before we did that, we had to get the teacher buy-in. So that was the next step, which is where the, the day-long in-service professional development came in. And Kelly and I, we were nervous. We didn't know how it was going to go over. They knew about the program. Everybody knew about the program, but very few had, had come for the evening or seen it in action. We had no idea. And we were amazed. We had such positive feedback at the end of the day. I can't think of anyone who said, this isn't important. We shouldn't give time for this. So once we had that faculty buy-in, that's when we knew we could move forward. And, and, and like you said, you want to use this in the classroom. And I think they all, everybody, no matter their discipline, saw ways they could incorporate it into the classroom. I remember seeing handouts coming out of the copy machine <laughs> of things that we had done that day that they were immediately going to use in class. So it, it worked. 
Yeah, congratulations on that. That's a really powerful, powerful story. I mean, I think it's the reason I selected the word. You know, I, I, I don't know which of us is looking at our television or our social media feeds and not feeling this great sense of distress at what surrounds us at this point um, in our own smaller communities, in the broader domestic community, where there just seems to be so much emotion-laden screaming at one another. And yet, uh, in schools of my size, even a little smaller school like yours, the time and the opportunity to teach these skills though we see them as sorely lacking in our broader community set and want our young people to carry stronger skill sets into the future as the leaders they're going to be like the time is really lacking. And so it's really, really challenging. But I think educators, your colleagues like mine are like, the time is now, like we've got to figure out how to do this. So I think that may be why there was momentum from your, your colleagues to, to jump on board, whether they teach math, English or, or, or what have you, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just so evident. So you guys are really, I didn't realize how recent this was. So your ability to, to sort of say, here are the evident results, I suspect are much more qualitative and anecdotal. You shared a couple of those points with us than they are quantitative at any point in time. Like, so how are you assessing next steps? I mean, remove the pandemic as the, as the present obstacle. Like, what would be uh, the community's vision there for where this may go in the next three to five years. Uh, what, what, what are you hoping for, Kelly? And then Carrie, we'll let you um, give your same thoughts on that vision question. Sure, we um, are hoping and working with and the school supports this to um, a full day of dialogue training in the beginning of a school year for the entire upper school student body. And then working on how to incorporate those skills into curricular and co-curricular gatherings throughout the school year um, for our advisory program as well as in classrooms um, and that will have it will be teachers being um, lead or I should say teachers would be leading it with the students leading it as well and that the upper school and working with the middle and lower school their um, mm. days would look different just because of their age levels and and maybe be some half days here and there as opposed to just a full day. So that is where the school is, is hoping to head and where we want to go. And in the three to five years, I mean, I think it, it really is that this is a skill set that students will grow and develop in their four years of high school mm -hmm. and be able to, you know, just like they say, I learned this subject or I learned this skill, they will leave with that vocabulary and that experience as they move into the next phase of their adult life. Yeah, critical competency that really transcends the education environment, high school and, and, and college. What say you, Carrie? What, what, are you, what are you hoping for that may be different or, or um, complementary to what, um, what Kelly was sharing? I agree with everything Kelly said. I would emphasize the, the need for it to be um, ongoing and yeah. not just one day a year. Something that the students begin to understand is not just a day-long activity or something we did after school on a Friday night, but it's something that is part of who we are. And um, I, know, I know that the head of school has expressed that as well, that this, this aligns with the goals, it aligns mm -hmm. with the need, it, it aligns with so many different things. So I look forward to the, the time when a student maybe thinks that everyone is getting this at every school, right? That it's just inherent to how you, how you learn 
in high school and, and in the younger grades as well. Yeah. And with the election looming here, you know, 50 days uh, away, I, I'm sure though you're uh, anxious about the girls returning tomorrow, they're going to be coming to your door pretty quickly and saying, you know, we need to dialogue about uh, whatever issues uh, may be at hand uh, that we're about to, that we're about to be vote, casting votes on. It's again, a time that's perilous for all of us as we think about the potential fracturing that comes with these election cycles and, and, and all that they entail. So uh, perhaps you'll be able to get uh, a Friday night uh, uh, meeting even here uh, amidst the pandemic. If you have to go virtual, have you had to do any of that yet and shift, uh, consider shifting it to, uh, to a digital um, uh, event uh, and, and think about that, Kelly? Um, last spring, we did, did. some mm -hmm. meetings to digital but or yeah. virtual, but it was only with students who had done the original yeah. trainings. Um, we did not do anyone new. As for this year, I think we're still figuring out exactly what all of the things will look like, um, what we will be doing for the election as well. We, we do, as a history teacher, we have talked about that as a department and what we're going to do and what would be the best. And we're still figuring that out, hoping that I think a few weeks under our belt um, will give us a sense of where everyone's capacity level is um, for making it meaningful. But I also think that the teachers have had, in, had the training last year. We, we actually didn't lose any teachers um, that were trained really. So our teachers have the skills at least to work with it in the classroom setting, which I think will be a huge benefit um, hopefully moving forward this year. Well, it's an amazing um, uh, story to hear about uh, such, a, such a powerful program that's just in its earliest days, so exciting. And um, again, it's just so timely and pertinent to the, to the circumstances at hand. So thank you for helping me get smarter about it as I think about our work here at Parish and, and ways we can dig further into our inclusive um, community mission and, uh, and build off of the work that, uh, that great educators like you are doing throughout the country. And good luck tomorrow. Welcoming the girls back. Uh, we, we, sure, we sure hope it goes smoothly for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we wish you luck too as you navigate your own school community during this time. We all need it and uh, are, are appreciative uh, of that extension. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. Episodes in October will further explore the themes of deep listening, civil discourse, and civil engagement as we move ever closer to Election Day in early November. So until then, thanks for listening to From My Angle podcast, and be well.